Um, some people say that it's easier just to take a message and say, I want to I preach on the love of God and just pull out every passage about the love of God. And then I want to preach next Sunday on righteousness and pull out every passage on righteousness. That's not that easy to me. It's so much easier, I think, to find a passage and say, what is this passage saying? How can we draw application from this? Um, it might be a little bit more work, but to be honest, it's safe. But this is not the message that I would be preaching this morning. Um, I went to a church a couple of, about a month ago, a church I spent at, at one summer at interning, and the Lord laid on my heart an idea for a message, and I felt like that's what I want to preach, not only for here today, but eventually if I ever get back to that church and preach there. Um, so I won't say which church in case y'all think, oh man, they must have been bad to get a message like this. Uh, but uh, anyway, I'll, I'll go ahead and lead into it. I don't, want, I don't want to hem and haw too long. There are three main reasons, I believe, for the decline in America. Boy, that's a loaded statement, isn't it? Then your mind just start wondering, what's he going to say? I mean, come on now, something like that. Well, the three main reasons for the decline in America. I'll let you guess for a second. Um, you might say, and I'll, my mom's going to come into this at some point. You might say, well, it's those liberals, those leftists, and those elitists. And I had to make something that rhymed with an L right there. It had to be alliterate somehow. It's like, God, I mean, it's got to be the liberals and the leftists and the, and the elitists. They're just bringing down the country, aren't they? they? I mean, they're just taking us and we're taking them from where we're supposed to be with the founding fathers and um, just changing everything. And uh, the, the educational institutions used to be Christian organizations and Christian colleges, and now they're just teaching things that are contrary to Scripture and all that. So you might say that. You might also say, it's, no, no, it's not those. It's, it's the media. It's the Marxists. And it's money. It's love of money. It's, it's got to be the media fanning the flames and just getting us to just go away from where God originally had this country to be. And they're just bringing down the morals and just teaching things and tra- changing our children. And to be honest, there's something to that. And I could probably make a message just around the media and what it does to our society. But also you have you know, Marxists and, ca- and communism. I'm sure it's not as big of a fear these days, or at least we don't think of it in the way that y'all probably did uh, some of the older generation. But it certainly is something that is still around today, wouldn't you say? Um, and probably all in the media as well. And the love of money. I mean, that bringing down America. We, we want, we want, we want. We don't have enough money for it. We'll go ahead and borrow for it. Uh, look at the national debt and the deficit and things like that. Man, just tearing the country to pieces. You might say that those are the three things for the decline in America. And uh, this is probably my mom saying here. And I tell you, these three things are the problem in America. The legislative, the judicial, and the executive. Man, there is the problem today, isn't it? That is the serious. I took a picture with my mom and my aunt. We did a self-portrait. And uh, I went and was looking at those pictures again. And I didn't realize my mom's shirt said, Fire Congress. And it just made me laugh when I saw it, uh, if you understand her mentality. Um, but it's, and there's something to that. They're, uh, they're looking at firing Congress this, uh, this November. We'll see how it goes. But, yeah, there's certainly a problem in our government. I would say that that is probably a, a big reason for the decline. Um, uh, you have the judicial branch legislating from the bench, making laws uh, based. Or le- a lot of times they're bringing up international law when they make their uh, decisions. That has nothing to do with what the Constitution says, but they will make uh, applications from that. So you might say those are the three problems for the decline in America. 
And well, you might say this. You might say, man, I know exactly what it is, preacher. It's the homosexual agenda. It's the ecumenical movement. And it is the green movement. And it's these three big things that are just taking this country down. And I'm not saying it's homosexuals and I'm not saying it's you know, ecumenical people. I'm saying it's that movement, that agenda, that idea that we need to just bend society to fit our viewpoint. Whether it be green, we want to make everything green. We've got to be environmentally friendly. Whether it can afford it or not. Yeah. Tell me, I'm all about buying recycled goods, but when it costs an arm and a leg, I'm not for it. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd rather be able to afford what I can buy. And uh, the ecumenical movement, some of y'all might not be as familiar with that term. But that's the idea to have all the churches just come together and we'll all get along. We'll just bring you know, the Catholic in, we'll bring the Episcopalians, we'll bring the Baptists. We'll just all get together, we'll have a good old time, and we'll reach the world for Christ. The only problem with that is, and this is one of my professors made a good point, he's like, you always have to come in at the lowest common denominator. Which means the person who has the highest standards has the most to lose. And so if you hold to the scripture as infallible and inerrant and the other guy doesn't, you're going to have to come and agree at the lower point. And I'm not willing to do that. So you might say that that's the, that's the problem. The homosexual agenda is certainly bringing about a change in our culture, a shift in the direction of the country, saying that whether you agree with us or not, you are going to have to accept it. And that's, you know, I'm not for that. I don't have to agree with you. Doesn't, and just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I don't love you. And that's the biggest problem I have with that. I love them, but I don't have to agree with them. There's a big difference. Uh, A lot of times they say if you don't agree, that means you don't love, which is not true. So you might say it's some of these things. But I'll tell you that the three main causes of the problem in America are not these. These are problems. Uh, These three places have their place in this. But I would say that the three main problems, the three biggest problems in America fall in three different places or three different areas. Number one, it's the pulpit. First and foremost, it's the pulpit. That's the biggest problem in America right now. Number two, it's the people, the congregations. That's the second biggest problem. And the third is the church as a whole, which are comprised of those two things. That's America's problem right now. And I hope we can see that uh, as we go on. And if you like alliteration, if that helps you remember, the congregation, the congregant, and the conductor. If you like another look at this, it's the pick. You want to get a picture of the problem, get a pick of it. The preacher, the individual, and the church. The P-I-C. The preacher, the individual, and the church. So we'll go ahead and look at this this morning. In other words, me, you, well, see, me, you, and us uh, as a whole. But before I start, let's go ahead and pray. Your Lord and Heavenly Father. You are so good. God, I am nervous. I don't want to say what I'm thinking and what I feel. Lord, but I want to have your heart and your mind on the matter. It's so easy to have opinions, right or wrong. Lord, but what matters is what you say and how you feel about it. What your word says. Lord, where your heart belongs and where your heart is on this matter. Lord, I pray that each heart would be open. Lord, you know, I've prayed that those here would have you speak to them. Lord, I would like my heart to be spoken to as well. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear you tell me something. Where is an area I can change? Lord, I pray for each one here that they would hear you as you go heart by heart and bring up things. Lord, I pray that not only would they hear, but they would also respond. I pray this for myself. And Lord, that you would be in this message, the Holy Spirit working in hearts. And you would lead us and direct us. And Lord... Bring yourself glory. Take my weak frame and use it to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
All right. First of all, the preacher. The preacher. And why is this first? And why is this first? It's best to examine self before others. I mean, I'm, before I go and preach about y'all, I really want to look at myself. You know, I want to have my ducks in a row before I say it. Why is this first? Because, first of all, the preacher has the greatest responsibility. I won't make you turn there, but the verses I think that would make most preachers tremble is Ezekiel three seventeen through 21. And the Bible says, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word of my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou, shalt, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his way, to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Boy, that makes me tremble. And it should make every person who's called to share the gospel tremble as well. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. I know he's given that specifically to Ezekiel at that time. But every pastor, every preacher, and every Christian who's called to share the gospel, and we all are, that should make us tremble in our souls just a little bit to say, I have a responsibility to share the gospel. I have the responsibility to preach. Therefore, I'm going to start here with the preachers. Greatest responsibility. Not only the greatest responsibility, but they have the greatest ability. I believe that the preachers have the greatest ability, and I'm not saying as a, as a I am something in myself, and I'm saying I have a, an ability for good and a, an ability for evil or an ability for bad. I have the ability, or a pastor has the ability, or even, and we're going to use another example, is teachers. And so if you're a Sunday school teacher, or you or actually parents, if you're teaching your children biblical truths, you also are in this category, so don't think you're immune from this. I have the ability to preach truth scripture and explain it and make it applicable for each one of us that could be a good thing and that could be a bad thing if i do it accurately and rightly i can have things god can use that we could bring the country back from where it's come from i can have hearts get stirred up because god has spoken to through to them through his word however i can also take the scripture and use it flippantly and use it incorrectly and error, you know, and erroneously. And what we'll have is people who believe a false gospel and are not saved but claim to be saved. Well, that's a terrifying thought. As a teacher or as a parent, and if I teach my children and I raise them up and I don't teach them what truth is, and not just to say the Bible's right or that God says this so it's right, but because why? Why is this right? It is because, because, it is because God says it. But, you know, to explain that, to give them answers to questions that are hard. You know what I'm saying? It is important, to, if you're a teacher, if you're a preacher, if you're, if you're a parent, that what you say be what God has said. Not how you feel about it, and not just, you know, an opinion on it. But to say, thus saith the Lord, because that is a great ability. That's a great responsibility as well. We have a great ability for good and a great ability for bad. And there are a great many preachers right now who are not doing their duty and are being used of Satan, even though they think they're doing God a favor. So what is the problem? Okay, and that was why preachers first, but what's the problem? Many are preaching a false gospel. you got your uh, fingers in Second Peter 2. Let me turn there myself. Uh, I should have done that. Second Peter 2. Verses 1 through 3. 
But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who shall privily bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And, sh- and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Many are preaching a false gospel. And you've heard, I'm sure, I don't have cable, but the one time, I, well not the one time, one time I was sitting in front of somebody's digital cable and I was slipping through and I landed on one of the religious channels or I was passing by and the guy was making merchandise of the people of God trying to sell a prayer cloth that he had prayed over saying that that would somehow bring them some kind of benefit and some kind of blessing. And it was a shame and it irritated, just like a thorn in my side, just to see that. I'd heard about it, I'd read about things like that in uh, one of the, the classes at Bible college. But to actually see it happening, to take advantage of the people who don't have, probably don't have much money anyway, it was just a shame. And, and I just, you know, there's a part of you that just waits and begs for God to come and set and make that right. Get them to stop doing that. Make them repent or teach them. Because this is just, it's a shame to just take God's people and make merchandise of them. And again, so there's preaching a false gospel. Uh, verse 17, and continue on down there, 17 through 22. These people, and the Bible is very strongly worded against them, these are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. Wow, is that some harsh language, is it not? For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, the same is he brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog has turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washing to her wallowing in the mire. The Bible's strong against people who are preaching a false gospel. And that is a great problem in America right now. Preachers who are not preaching what the Bible says about Christ, about salvation, that there is sin in the world, that you have sinned, that you must repent of your sin and put your faith totally in Jesus Christ, the only one who can act and can pay for that sin, who has done it on the cross, completed satisfaction, you know, satisfactorily, totally. There's nothing left. There's no more works after that. The only thing that is worth anything to God is Christ's blood. None of your good works can do it. Preach that. Preach that you must repent. There is not a second chance. There's not a purgatory. There is no hope after death. Only Christ, your, that is your hope. That is your anchor. That is your trust. That is what needs to be preached. The gospel is this. Jesus will save you from your sins if you turn and put your faith and trust in him. That's the problem. Many are afraid to preach the truth plainly. That's another problem. A lot of times I believe a preacher thinks he's doing his best to preach about sin. And he says it is a sin to think bad thoughts. That's not real plain. That's probably a good statement. But be more specific. To look on another woman to lust after. Jesus was pretty specific in that respect. That's lust. That's adultery of the heart. You want to be more specific? There was a great illustration I read somewhere that said there was a logging community and the logs would come down and they would have a brand on each log of a certain company. You cut them up river, you send them down river, and then you pick them out with your branding on it. 
And the preacher preached against uh, stealing. He preached against stealing. Everybody's like, amen, that's a good preacher, that's great. The next Sunday, he preached on the sin of cutting off the end of the logs to remove that branding. And he was not as popular as he was before because he had named their sin. And I believe that's a problem today, is that there's a lack of just plain preaching. That it is wrong to listen to the things that we listen to so often. It's so wrong to, to look at the things we look at, to have these thoughts, to be that uh, uh, violent towards people. All these things, to be plain about truth. And not only that, as far as I think some preachers go and they will say that you need to have a, a relationship with God. That is a good statement. You do need to have that relationship in Christ. But first, you must turn. You first must believe that He is able to save you. You must turn from your sins and put your faith and trust in Him. That begins that relationship. And if they don't name sin and they don't tell you you must repent, then they're not being plain about that salvation, is are they? Um, and not being plain about truth. Or they'll preach and not be very clear and uh, just be clear as mud, as some would say. And that's not good either. You need to be clear. Many fail also, I believe, to answer God's call for their best. And uh, this is a two-edged sword as I preach this point. Alistair Begg, uh, I like listening to him on the radio, a really good preacher. One of the reasons there is such a distaste for preaching is because there is so much dreadful preaching. The great need of the hours for those who have had God's hand laid upon them to respond to the opportunities of the moment in a way that brings their best to the task. And I say this about preachers, but as I mentioned before, teachers, this applies to us too. This also applies to parents. I'm not a parent, so I can't say us in this. But this applies to us. It is upon us to bring the, our best to the task. I want to, when I become a parent, I want to be the best parent I can be. And I want to teach them truth in the best way I know how. And if I don't understand something, I want to study it out so I can explain it to them. And as a preacher, I ought to do the same thing. I ought to bring the best to the task. Again, I said it's a double, double-edged sword, so we'll just go ahead and move on. But ask yourself, are, are you bringing your best? So what's the solution to this problem, to the problem of the preachers? Preachers and teachers, I, I admonish you, I, I beg you, accept the charge of Paul to Timothy in Second uh, Timothy 4, 1-5, which he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall leap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure the afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. Paul told Timothy, I charge you, do the work. It's going to be hard. They're not going to want to listen at some point, but just go ahead and do it, and do it with all your heart and do it with all your might. And, I tell, and he's telling us the same thing. If America's preachers are to change and to bring America back and their teachers and their parents and all of those who teach truth, then we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to just make God our whole thought. Also, if they would pray, pray for boldness and pray for clarity. I need to pray this for myself to be bold in what I'm preaching. Uh, I often get done preaching. I think, man, I should have not held back. I feel often that I do with force and with power, but also clarity. When you're teaching, don't just let them look at you with a blank stare and say, I have no idea what you said. Poor, poor Brother James this morning at Sunday school. I'm sure I was moving too fast because I was even confused at some point. So I can imagine how he must have been. But clarity. 
it's no good if you get done preaching or you get done teaching and they have no idea what you just said. It sounded great, but as uh, one preacher I noticed said, they don't have the hog's breath of a clue what you just said. They don't know what you just got done teaching or preaching about. That's not good. We're not going to get anywhere. If, if, if God's people, if God's church are sitting in a fog, I mean... Another example, they said, uh, if there's a haze in the pulpit, it's a fog in the pews, because that's what's going to be the case. If you don't know what you're saying, and you're not clear, and you're not bold about it, they have no idea where you're going. And God have mercy on this message if that's the case, so uh, I pray that's not. And lastly, if we offer our talents to God, and according to Romans 12, 1 and 2, I... I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may present what is that perfect, acceptable, and uh, good will of God. And I got the last part of that wrong. But if we will do that, offer our talents as a living sacrifice, I'm called to preach. Some of y'all are called to teach. Some of y'all are called to be parents, or great many of y'all are. As parents, as teachers, as preachers, we have to offer our best, offer our bodies, and let God do the work. I, have, I am terrified about raising children because, to be honest, I will stink at it. In my own, I'm going to be horrible. I can hardly keep myself alive. My dogs are looking at me like, why did you get us? You know, it's, it's not a good thing. But God and Christ through me is able to do things that I'm not able to do. And same thing through you, if you'll pray for that and offer yourselves completely to Him. So, as we go on, America is rotting from a lack of sound, strong, biblical preaching and teaching. This is a cancer that can only be cured by a return to the preserving power that preaching once provided. A lot of peace. It falls upon church leaders, therefore, to see that the pulpits thunder God's righteousness once more and without ceasing. It's not only my responsibility, it's not only Preacher Mike's responsibility, but it's the responsibility of the deacons, of the congregation who calls the preacher to their pulpit. We want to hear truth. We want to hear righteousness. And we will settle for nothing less. If it's not Bible, it's not in this pulpit. That's what I want to hear, and that's what the church's attitude must be, because there's a great many churches right now who allow guys in their pulpit who do not preach truth. And there's a great many who should stand up and are too cowardly to do so, I believe. But I don't want to go on that too long. But the leadership is not entirely to blame for the decay of America. Second of all, the individual. The individual. This is, this is the you, this is the me. Why is this second? Because we have a great responsibility to follow. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians 5. We're going to spend a few minutes here. Um, Ephesians 5. Give you a second to get there. The individual. We've gone on the preachers. We've gone on the teachers. We've gone on the leadership. But it's not just the leader. We have a, a great responsibility as individuals to follow. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. All right, first of all, we got to follow God. That's the biggest one. That's the hardest one. We have to follow Him. We have to follow His commands. We have to follow His words. And following Him, He also calls us to follow other people. As a church member, I am to follow my pastor, to support him, to receive his instruction, his rebuke, to be a follower. But we also have a great responsibility, I believe, to lead. As to, just as individuals, we all have a place in an area where we are a leader. Am I right? 
There's some area where we're a leader. And we have a responsibility to that. First of all, in Ephesians uh, 5, 3, we're still there, continuing on. Um, before I say that, we have a responsibility to lead a holy life. We have a responsibility to lead a holy life. I'm using the word lead loosely, but it will work for me. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking. Boy, that one, and jesting, nor jesting, which is not convenient. At the, in the dorm, how often does people tell jokes and or say, I'm just joking, I'm just kidding. And you're like, but is that in accord with this scripture? Are you really, can you really get away with that? Um, Foolish talking, or so often there was that was the case. It, was, it had no good purpose. It was just foolishness. Uh, anyway, foolish talking or jesting, uh, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this, you know that no whoremongers, nor unclean persons, nor covetous man, covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom of Christ, and of God. So, for, uh, second of all, we have a, a responsibility to lead a holy life, and that continues on. Second of all, we have a responsibility to lead wives and children. I don't have this responsibility yet. Y'all do. So take it for what it is. You do have that responsibility too. And look in verse 21. Uh, You can can just flip down there. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Talking about husbands and wives and actually the whole church. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot, wrinkle, or any uh, such thing, that it should be without, holy and without blemish. So, yes... Um, Husbands, you have a responsibility to lead your wives. Wives, you also have a responsibility to lead your children. So we're all in this. We have a responsibility, first, to lead a holy life. Second of all, we have a responsibility to lead our families. We have a responsibility to that. That's God's called us to be leaders in that area. And if we neglect that responsibility, if we shirk that, and we just put it off to the side and are derelict of our duty, that's a great problem in America. And you know that's the case when you look around. You see kids coming in line who their parents might be their friend, but they are not their parents. I see them in retail all the time. The little, I don't want to say demons, but in some cases they are. And I've seen them smack their parents before. They're only this big. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. That parent is derelict of their duty. They're not a parent in the sense that God has called them to be. Ephesians 6, 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, you have a great charge by God that you must bring them up and teach them and raise them. You have a responsibility to lead. Not only that, you have a responsibility as individuals to lead sinners to Christ. Uh, Titus 2 sums up our individual responsibilities. Go ahead and turn there real quick. Titus 2. I've got a lot of flipping going on. That's a good thing. Titus 2. This is our responsibility. This is, I heard this preached and it was really excellent. I wish I could just pass it out in good copies. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. 
that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sound-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing uncorruptibleness, gravity and sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and please them in all things. And I answering again and uh, so forth and so on. And it continues on. My point is uh, mainly that passage there that says, um, In all things show in thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine showing uncorruptibleness, gravity and sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Is that the case in the church today? Is it in the case in your life where the evil, the people who are contrary to God, could not say an evil thing about you? That your life is so pure that it reflects God so well and Christ's word so well that there's no charge that can accurately and, and rightly be laid at your feet. And I'm just saying this and I'm asking myself the same question. How often have I had something in my life that I knew, maybe they didn't, but I knew that if they laid that charge to my, uh, to my accusation, that it would stick. And that's a horrible thought. And I can't be effective for God when that is the case. God wants to use us. He wants to use each one of you to reach somebody. But if you have something in your life that keeps you from being effective for Him, from being used by Him, then He will not use us. And that's the great state of America right now. So often people are holding on to something that they won't yield over, and I'm preaching to myself right now, that is keeping them from being used to God's fullest, what He wants them to do, and what He's able to do through them. Can you imagine? Can you find the limit of what God's ability is? I can't. And I want God's best in my life. And I want God to use me to His fullest. Not to my imagination's limit, but to His imagination's. And if, that, if I can do that, if I can yield, then He's going to do great things through me. And I hope that that's your prayer too. Not just mine, but that you want God to do through you what He only can do. I want to be the best parent I can be. I want to be the best husband, the best father, the best wife. I'm, I'm not going to be a wife, but you know what I mean. I want to be the best teacher. I want to be the best worker. Whatever God can do through me, I want that. I want Him to anoint my life like that. To lay His hand on it and not take it off as He did with Saul. But um, So anyway, we have a responsibility to lead a holy life, to lead our families, also to lead sinners to Christ. But what's the problem? What's stopping us? Many do not listen to sound doctrine. As we look at Second Timothy, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto the fables. Well, if you go into Amazon and look in the religion section, there's a great many religious teachers who teach things that are so false, and people buy it up. It's the best sellers. There was something, some book with a secret logo on the front saying the, the power to life is to just actualize it, to think about it, and it becomes so or something, or to have positive thinking. That is nowhere in Scripture that says what you believe about something is going to make it come true. That has nothing to do with anything. You'll just be in delusion. And you can enjoy your happiness there, but it's not going to do anything. It's not going to be effective. But so often, they turn from sound doctrine, from this book... Which is plain. It is God's Word. It's not that hard. The things you don't understand, don't worry about that right now. Worry about the things you do understand. Where it's clear, do those things. Study out the things you don't understand. Ask questions about it. 
But a lot of people will not endure this. They say these are hard speeches and it's difficult to do. So I'm going to turn from this, set it aside, and I'm going to do the things that are convenient, the things that are easy. And so many of those books that you'll find, and so many of the religious teachers, they are certainly easy. And they'll, te- they'll tickle your ears. They'll certainly be a lot pleasant, more pleasant. Um, I won't name names, but you get the idea. Often, godly counsel is not heeded or wanted. How many times has it been a pastor, and I'm not one, but how many times has it been a pastor's plight to give good advice, give good counsel, only to have the people turn around and just not listen to it? And they end up in a mess because they won't listen. And if they had just listened, everything would have been okay because God's Word said, don't do this. If you go down this route, this is the problem you're going to have. They did it anyway. But even worse, if they're not heeding it, they just don't want it. Sometimes they know what God's going to say about it, but they don't want to hear that because they want to do their own thing anyway. They're going to go ahead and do it whether you tell them about it or not. That's the worst state. If you ever get to the point where you're not teachable, you're not open to receiving instruction or counsel, woe unto you. Examine your heart and say, God, when did I go so wrong to the point where I don't want your advice? I don't want your word. I don't care what you have to say about it. I just want to do what I want to do. If you ever get to that place, I'll pray for you. But often godly counsel is not heeded or wanted. Ears to turn, their ears are turned to worldly sources of advice, psychology, science, things like that. Again, false science, so-called. They turn to that and say, well, this will answer all of our, our problems, all of our needs, all of our uh, necessary explanations. Why am I this way? Well, it's because of how I was brought up. Or why am I predisposed to this? Because of a chemical imbalance I inherited from my mom. Or why is this or that? Why do I love sin so much? Well, it's because I'm a human. I have a natural thing like that. But you leave off what God has said about the matters. And it's not important to you. Often we'll turn to anything else but what God says. What does the Bible say about this? Where is personal responsibility in this? Why is it so much easier just to ask some talking head's advice, some professor in some college who will say anything to get published? Often you'll hear them say the most outlandish things. And I heard somebody say in talking about physics and where the world came from in creation that basically the whole universe in its deepest sense is bubbles and foam. And he said, we're children of the foam. And I said, if I had said that, they would have laughed me to scorn if I said that we were the children of the foam. And I would have been mocked and teased. But when some guy has a PhD by his name, he can get away with it and say, oh, that's pretty smart there. And they just won't listen to the Bible because it just doesn't sound like what they want to hear. Many do that which is right in their own eyes. That's another problem. They do what's right in their own eyes. Opinions are not important. That's going to be a hard statement. I was told this in homiletics class. He said, you do not, I do not care what you think about the Bible. You should not care what I think about the Bible. What matters is, what does God say in His Word? My opinion about it is really not important. Your opinion about it, as as wonderful as it is, and I don't mean to be offensive to you, but this is the thing that is right. Whether I believe it or whether I don't, it's still right. Whether my opinion is right or wrong, this is right. If my opinion is wrong and this is saying something different, I need to be brought into accord with this and center on this. Often people will have an opinion about the Bible and say what they want it to say. Uh, We were talking in Sunday school about feminist theology or Marxist theology or homosexual theology. Often they come with this agenda and they want it to say what they want it to mean. 
And you can twist it and you can reinterpret it and you can throw away the laws of uh, interpretation which we were talking about this morning. And uh, you can make it, you can shoehorn your ideas and your opinion into the scripture and say, it's saying that my lifestyle is okay because this guy and this guy probably had that kind of lifestyle. Or it's saying that we're supposed to have a communist society. That if we take what Jesus was talking about and implement it in government, that's what it's going to be. That's not what it's saying. That's not what the scripture says. So, again, your opinions on truth are not important, but what does the Bible say? Do what the Bible says. Don't be right in your own eyes. And, again, the last problem in the church, uh, or one of the other ones with individuals, and many in the church are just lost. There's a great many people who sit on the pews Sunday in and Sunday out who have never been born again have never been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, received the second birth, been brought to new life in Christ. They don't know what it means to be a new creation. All the old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. They've heard it year in and year out, but they turn and say, well, I said a prayer when I was young. My mom said I was saved. Or I think I'm saved, but I really don't know. That's a horrifying thing. That's like driving drunk. It's like driving asleep. It's going through the motions. It's being in the ministry, but not actually being able to do the work because you're not born again. You're not alive. Don't stay in that state. Many in the church are lost. That's the problem. One of them. And what's the solution for the individual? First of all, gain genuine assurance of your salvation. If you have doubt, you're probably not going to be effective in the ministry or in, in being used by Christ. How is He going to use you to reach a lost person for Christ and share the gospel if you don't know that you're saved? I mean, how can you sell something in... I mean, most of us have worked in some form of sales. And how can I sell a Hewlett Packard uh, computer if I don't believe that they are reliable? Or if I don't have full assurance that it's going to do what the person who's buying it uh, what it will do for them? And the same thing with Christ. If I'm not fully assured that He is able to save unto the uttermost them that are called to uh, come unto Him by faith, then how can I share Him? I have turned to Him. I know for a fact that He saved me. My life was one way and it's totally different now. And I can look back and say, wow, that's a big change. I am not the man I used to be. And let me tell you something. He can do the same for you. If you will turn your whole heart and life over to Him, He will make something great of it. And there, and that's a promise. That's not a doubt. There's not even a doubt in my mind. If you yield it all over to Him, the end result will be beautiful. But most people are afraid to do that. Genuine assurance of the salvation. Determined to submit to leadership and sound counsel. Be teachable. And in short, in a nutshell, just be teachable. If a pastor comes to you and you know you're in the wrong and he has the Bible and what it's saying is right... I mean, if it's, his, if it's his opinion, that's one thing. But if it's the Scripture and does say of the Lord, do not do this, you ought to do what He's saying. And do it because the Bible says it. But often we're going to be like, I, I don't want to hear it. Or it's because He's saying it. And I know the Bible's right, but because He brought it, I don't want it. Just be teachable. Just be open. Be honest with that. Be open to sound counsel. Uh, you don't know everything. And I'm teach- telling myself this. Just go and ask for advice from good people. Another solution for this problem would be to devour the Word of God. Look at your own Bible reading. Look at your own Bible study. Does the word devour work on that? Could that be applied to your personal time with Scripture? Do you devour it? Do you just eat it up? And you want to get every piece of it and not, not let one crumb fall to the floor. You just it's, it's so pleasant to your soul, you just can't stand to just miss a moment of it. I'm asking myself this question too. Devour the Word of God and arrest and cleave to Him in prayer. 
grab a hold of him and arrest him and just hold tight and won't let go. Is that how you grab a hold of God in prayer? Or is it just casual, uh, appreciate the food, thank you for a good day, amen. And so I can get back to what I was really wanting to do because it's not talk to you. Ouch. I know that's probably been the case in my life sometimes. It's no surprise that the state of the country disgusts us when its Christians have become tasteless and saltless. There is little light, there is little right, and there is little fight from us. Little light, little right, and little fight. I bet you that's true. Christians must recover themselves from the snares of the devil and determine to be people of the book and by the book for the glory of God. We must say, this is where we stand. This is our authority. This is what I will, I will die for this. And I won't let anything else come between me and this. This is my life. Is that what you can say about this book? And we do this. We live by this. We die by this for the glory of God. But the leaders and the followers are only parts of the final cause of America's decline. This is the last point. The church. The church itself. Why is this last? If the first two problems are fixed, the preachers and the individuals, the members of the church, this is going to be fixed. After all, this is what the church is. It's nothing but preachers and people. Am I right? So what's the problem? First of all, the church is not moving like a mighty army. Uh, The good old hymn, um, I was going to pull it out, but uh, (laughs) onward Christian soldiers, like a mighty army moves the church of God. Uh, We are trotting where the saints have trod. All one body, we not divided. Is that us? Is that the church today? Could you look out and say the church of God is like a mighty army moving in one accord and all hope and doctrine and everything? One in charity? I don't think so. I don't think that's what most people would look and say about it. I was listening to Chuck Swindoll and he said that uh, the church is the strangest army ever. Strangest army ever. And his reason was a good one and I've got one to follow up with it. His reason was... In the book of Revelation, when Christ comes back to judge the world and He brings the army of His saints with Him, we don't do a thing. He said, we don't do a blessed thing. We just sit and watch as He breathes out and the sword of His word goes out and slays His foes. As an army, we are strange because we just sit back and watch. But again, when He said we don't do a blessed thing, that's another way in which, as an army, I think we're a very strange army because we don't do a thing sometimes. I think as a church, often we just sit back and do nothing. And that is a shame, isn't it? As an army, shouldn't every army fight? Shouldn't every army prepare itself and be disciplined and trained? But often we just sit back and let the world go because we don't care. It's not... Also, the church is not a loving one. It's not loving one another as I have loved you. As Christ loved you enough to die on the cross for you, to selflessly, basically empty himself of all of his good, and to take that reproach and that shame that was rightly ours, and to die in our place, how often would we do the same for a brother or sister in the church? How often would we, when they were being falsely accused, how often would we say, no, no, I'll take the blame. Uh, I did that. Even wrongly, even though I didn't do it, even though it's not appropriately for me, how often, how many brothers and sisters in here would you take that? If a brother or sister was sued by somebody out there, how many of y'all would step to their side and say, I'll take it as much as you'll take it. We're in this together. Has that, is that way, the way that the church looks today or is it, I'm going to do my own thing and I'll see y'all next Sunday yeah, or Wednesday. I think that's probably more accurate. Also, the church is not 
holy and without blemish, as we were reading in Ephesians, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I was talking this morning about an a NPR uh, radio advertisement. A church was advertising on NPR, and I, I told Brother James, if this church ever advertises on NPR, I'm calling a business meeting right then to find out why we're using God's money to advertise on that station. Second of all, um, the church was advertising that they were a, a, a basically an inclusive or a, a congregation that was open to all theological points and that would be okay with having preach, uh, uh, women preachers and teachers. And Basically, they went down the list and there's some other things that they said, but this was their advertisement. This was their appeal. This is the way that they want their church to be perceived. And I was saying, if that was the case in my church, I would be ashamed of those things. That we were open to theological points of view that were differing, in a sense, and they could be wrong, and error, and we're okay, and we're let them be in the pulpit. That church is not uh, without spot, without wrinkle. It has problems. And it's not um, as God would have it to be. And in this case, so unmoored from the anchor of the Word of God is what this church, I believe, is, that they have lost all discernment They've gotten away from this, what this says to do and how a church should be run. Basically, the book of Acts, if you want to see how a church should look, this is how it should look. It should start right there, and that should be how we should model it. They get away from this, and they take this out from underneath them. They lose their anchor from this. This is the anchor. And basically, they've lost all discernment. They don't know what's right anymore. They're just as blind as can be. And therefore, they've lost their relevance. In an attempt to be relevant, they become irrelevant. They want people to come to them because of those things. But when they get there, they're not going to get anything to save their soul because they've left it. They've cast it aside. How can you preach, this is how you be saved, when we won't obey this and how our church is run? And that's a shame. So what's the solution for the church? First of all, preachers preach, teachers teach, Christians sing, uh, singers sing, Christians pray, men lead, and all follow. Every one of us has a responsibility to follow. And do what you're called to do. As a church, as an army, what's your position, your post? Do it. Stand guard, stand strong, and do what God has called you to do with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Again, preachers preach, teachers teach, singers sing, Christians pray. Christians pray, Christians pray. Practice love. Genuine Christ-like agape love, and let it describe the church as it once did. Can we say that this church demonstrates agape love? This is a loving church. If you've only been here for a few minutes, I hope you can tell. This church loves people. We love to have visitors. We love to just meet. When I first got here, the first thing I got was a hug as a visitor. And I was like, this is for real. I've never seen anything like this in the world, where people just love you just because you're here. You know? Amen. I love it. Um, but genuine, where it's selfless, self-emptying, where, you know, I mean... There's a church I went to, and the pastor told me in the two and a half years he's been there, they've never taken him out to eat. And it just, it, it's sad. It's just sad that, I, didn't, I mean, I, if you don't know, if you've never been taught that that's the right thing to do, that's one thing. But if you know it and you just don't care, that's really sad because he's faithful to them. So let it, let agape, Christ-like, empty, and that's not much to ask. I mean, but you can show somebody you love them that way. Um... And also, just let it, let it describe us. Also, purify the church. In this way, we exercise discipline. Do the hard but necessary things. We did that in our church business meeting. Hard but necessary. But also, when a brother or sister is erring, we really need to just do that. The, the, the difficult discipline to get us holy without spot, blameless and without blemish. Isn't that hard? But it's so good. And the church needs it so much. 
And lastly, and of course not leastly, in fact, the most important thing, and again, pray, 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 pray. It is the power of the church, and we are running on E. Amen? If the church is fueled by prayer, what's the gauge? How would you measure our church's prayer? How would you measure church as a whole? How would you measure its prayer? And I I think it's on E. Anyway, in conclusion, this is the pick, or the picture, if you will, of the problem in America. The PIC, the preachers, the individual, and the church. Sure, the government, the media, and the masses have their place in the whole picture, but the ultimate blame falls at our feet. We have the answer to life's ills, which is Christ. The problem with the world is sin. We have the cure. If preachers would preach boldly and unashamedly the Word of God, if teachers would skillfully and earnestly teach the Word of God, if Christians would follow the Lord, obey His Word, and bombard His throne with prayer, we would make a mighty army and a man and man a mighty battleship stationed at the very gates of hell, as one person once said. And I pray, oh God, help us to make this so. Let us make it so. And let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, God, often we say, God bless America, like you're supposed to, like it's your duty. Like somehow you're wrong if you don't. Oh God, have mercy on America. It's received so many blessings and Lord has turned so far from you. Lord, I believe the great reason for this is because your people have just let it go. The whole country doesn't have to be saved, but a few will go a long way. Lord, if people would just do what they know to do, preachers would just preach as you've laid upon them and called them. People would just teach your word so we'd know it. Lord, if as a church we would love one another, Lord, as individuals we would live the Christian life as you've called us to live it, Lord, there could be a great change in America. You know my heart. You know how... In all honesty, I don't know whether America's coming back. Often I know what to do, but often I find it hard to do it. It's all about choice. Got to pray that someone here, maybe one of the young ones, maybe somebody's got a full life to live, somebody whose heart's open, maybe somebody who's just sick and tired of being sick and tired, that something would have been said that would spark something new in them. Prayer would be the start. Seeking you in your word. One after another, Lord, one after another, people would be saved and that there would be a change. But you can do all things. It's us that don't. Lord, bring yourself honor and glory. And I pray that you continue to speak to hearts as we conclude this message. In Jesus' name, heads bowed and eyes closed to stand to your feet. Again, I ask that God would speak to you in this message. I know that He has because I asked Him. So I ask you this. Did He ask you to come and receive Him? Maybe He asked you the question, Are you saved? Uh, And it's not important what you tell others about your salvation, but what does God tell you about your salvation? 
How many times have people asked you, are you sure you're saved? How do you know? If that's the case, and God says to you, you're not, you need to come right now. Somebody will take you and show you in the Bible how to be saved. There's a change in Christ that would be, you would never experience anything like it again. Your life would be completely different. Not only would your life be different, but you'd have eternity with Him in heaven. And I pray that if you don't know Him, that today would be that day. Listen to what He's telling you. So come. Not only that, did He tell you that He was first in your heart? How many of us would raise our hands and say, God told me that He is the first in my heart? Or would we say, there's another Did He point His finger on something in your life that's come between you and Him? How can we be His people if He is not our God? So I ask you to examine your heart and say, God's laid His hand on my heart and said, this is not not your God. This is not what you should be worshiping. And I pray if you've you've let something get between you and Him, if He is not your first love, that you'll come and, and just submit your heart to Him once and more. Fall in love with Him again. Maybe He told you of a place in the church where you could show your love for your brothers and sisters. Help them carry a burden. How many times have we had somebody ask about church cleanup? Or helping clean the church? Or you've heard about Miss, uh, Miss Kim's just doing as many things as she can do in circles. You can help. There's a place. I promise there's somewhere somebody will find you something to do. Where you can be a blessing, not not just to God and not because He needs you, but because it's an opportunity He's given you. Your brothers and sisters, it's a great way to show them that you love them. It's often been said, 2% of the church do 90% of the work. Or 95, 98. Maybe you've got something that He's laid on your heart that I, I, didn't, I don't know. Maybe He's told you something specifically that you need to deal with. Now's the opportunity. Whether in the quiet of your seat or up here at the altar... Get it settled right now. Don't don't go out and start eating and forget about everything that you've heard. If he's told you to do something, do it. Give it to Him. Yield to Him. Surrender to Him completely. You will never regret it. But I promise you, you'll regret it if you don't. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, again, we thank You. And I just pray that You'll continue to speak to hearts, Lord. Help us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can look this way. And uh, appreciate y'all coming. Appreciate the visitors. And again, sorry it, was, uh, sorry it was probably not the best message ever, but hope you got something from it. And, uh, and I hope to see you again tonight. Don't, don't ever... I got... It was singing in the choir. Somehow preacher got, preacher got me to come and join the choir. And that's how it got me into Sunday evening church. I didn't even realize there was such a thing. But it's definitely right. If you don't come, please come. We'd love to have you. And uh, I'd love to see you then. Our brother Jerry, if you'll go ahead and close us out in prayer, and we can be dismissed.